0: Welcome to Recovery Uncovered, brought to you by Whiskey and Milk. I'm Adam Clark. I'm Sarah Sellers. As recovering addicts, we're on a mission to fight the stigma against addiction.
1: And inspire those struggling by sharing the experience of real people in recovery.
0: Because addiction doesn't discriminate.
1: Behind every struggle, there's a person
0: with a story. This This is is Recovery Recovery Uncovered. Uncovered. Attention, now arriving at your destination. The last house on the block. Welcome back to Recovery Uncovered.
1: Hello. Thank you for joining us again.
0: All right. Well, uh, this is episode seven here. And so uh, we've been doing this for like almost two months now. I can't believe that. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? Yeah. It's going by quick.
1: Yeah, it has.
0: Um, But today we're going to kind of do the reverse of what we did a couple episodes ago. We had originally planned to uh, to dive into both of our recovery journeys, and I just don't know how to quit running my mouth sometimes.
1: I just I had too many questions. I'm way way too nosy to like only spend thirty minutes on your (laughs) recovery.
0: There's a lot, you know.
1: It is. There's a lot
0: to it and a lot after it. But uh, we're going to kind of do the opposite today and get to hear a little bit more of Sarah's recovery journey kind of from the moments leading up to starting sobriety, what brought you to that point, and then what you've done to stay sober, what are some different pillars of your recovery that are non-negotiables for you, and, and kind of what that journey's looked like for you. All right. So I'll let you take it away.
1: I, I was thinking about this recently. I think that I'm almost half and half. Maybe, I well, I might have already passed that point because if I put a substance in my body at 12 and then continuously did stuff until i was 17 then i'm sober from 17 to now 24 oh yeah i've passed that point
0: uh-huh you've been that sober longer five than years. you were drunk or high
1: that's so so wild to me like i still feel i don't know i i um i'm still amazed by how much i, I got done when i was drinking
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> like how much wreckage and how many, you know, relationships I ruined just in a very short amount of time. Um, I was a very busy, busy girl. Um, at a young age, too. At a very young age, yes. Yes, it didn't feel that way, of course. I felt like the most grown little woman ever. But, um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I just enjoy so many gifts. Today, it's unbelievable. We were talking about it last time on the last episode where we talked about your recovery. I still, I feel the same way and it's, it's kind of, um, it's kind of gross. I kind of feel, you know, just too mushy gushy about my recovery and life is so fantastic and this is a life I've never thought I could ever have. Um, but it's so true. Mm-hmm. It, it is so incredibly true. I think that I would, I was, gonna be pretty lucky if I could make it just as a freshman, at Ole Miss and get into the sorority I wanted to get into. Um, I had a plan that I was gonna sell drugs to get you know more connections because if I sold, I knew that all the people that sold, had more drugs themselves and yep. had more connections and knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy. So I was like, I'm going to go network um, <laughs> in college. And that was all I really wanted. Uh, and those are some really low goals.
0: Yeah. You weren't, uh, you weren't really shooting for the moon there. No,
1: not exactly. Be the best drug
0: dealer in Oxford.
1: No. And I was kind of settled that I was going to kill myself after. Mm. Like I was, I was either going to kill myself because I didn't really want to yet. I wasn't too strong on it yet, um, but I could see that would be a way I go out, and it was it was going to be suicide or it was going to be a car accident because I um, continued to to drink and drive, but that freaked me out because I my dad told me at one point, um, and I I. I I'll never forget when he said this because at this point I realized how done he was with me. Yeah. He said, you know, I'm less concerned about you at this point. I'm more concerned about the family you're going to kill. Ooh. Um, it was just his way of saying I've done everything I can. And I know that. Um, and I'm just worried about other people at this yeah, that point.
0: stings when it feels like your family's given up.
1: Like they're, they're planning the funeral. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do think, I think my dad got to that point. Um, But I, I, uh, I was going to just throw in the towel and, and go to adolescent rehab. And it was funny when I finally told my dad that I wanted to go Because he was saying, you know, are you sure about that? (laughs) Like, Are you sure? Because I'd convinced him that going, getting help is really bad. That if I go, I will go learn how to do heroin and how to do, like, you know, the things that you were doing, Adam.
0: Yeah. Um, All that really good stuff. So you had convinced him before wanting to get sober. Yes. That rehab was a bad idea because you would learn from the best of the best. Exactly. Best of the best. I
1: was like, they're going to teach me how to do... And I, I mean, I was very was convincing. Strong I was very convincing. Cause I said, you know, dad, you think about the curriculum is eight hours a day. That's when I'm with professionals. What about the other hours of the day? There's 16 other hours of the day that I could learn from people that I'm going to be right next to and roommates with Yeah, that have done all this stuff and, and could che- teach me how to shoot up. They, they could, they could teach me how to, how to snort things that you don't usually snort dad and so at that that point he was like okay you're right you're right you know you're not doing that bad <laughs> so what so, was his
0: plan of action for getting you sober
1: um it was it was going to be you know it was get basically going to be i'll I'll watch you and and we'll just um daddy daycare right right which was basically my life anyways you know (laughs) it's like me trying to constantly get one over on my parents and then them catching me and then me trying to get out of it again with them um but this time I did give up and I I went to adolescent um and a little shout out Brian O'Shea got on the phone with us um December 26th 2016 and he, at the time, was, and I, I believe he still does, he was an interventionalist and um, had connections all over the country for different treatment centers. It could be at for adolescents or eating disorders or adult substance use. And so he um, helped me find a place in Opelousas, Louisiana. Um, You have never heard of that city for a reason.
0: You are correct.
1: Yeah, it is wild in Opelousas. Yeah, it it sure is. I don't think many people probably make it out and say I'm I'm from Opelousas. (laughs) It was hard, core. Um, And and I I just remember being in that adolescent rehab, looking around and just thinking these people are wild like I do not belong here they're on some level that I'm not at right now and so I'm very pristine and I try to tell my counselor that I'm not meant to be here and then she lays it on me and I don't really remember how she what she said in our counseling session I remember how I felt she said it and how Mm -hmm. I felt she said what she said was that you are an alcoholic and you are doomed to die unless you accept accept that you're an alcoholic right now. And I don't again, I don't think that she said that, but that is exactly what I heard was that you're you're screwed. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) You're not getting out of this. That sounds like
0: that's what you needed to hear at the time.
1: And it, it was. And I had a panic attack and, and I mean, I, this was six years ago. And so I don't want to say this is how it went. This is how I remember it. I remember having a full on panic attack, like unable to breathe, catching my breath, um, tears just rolling out of my eyes. And, and she would give me a tissue, but she'd say, you just keep feeling this, you know,
0: she made you sit in it,
1: made me sit in it. And, um, it, it felt like my life was over. In that moment, I, cause you know, I could not see what I, what I have now. I could not mm-hmm. tell the future. Um, I, all I could think was I will want to drink for the rest of my life. I will never be calm again. Mm. I will never feel loved again. I will never feel good about myself again. I will always be on edge. I will always hate myself. Um, And that's all I could think, you know, was this present moment. Because being an addict, not high or not drunk, is like, you know, it's the present moment is the worst
0: worst place to be yeah it's just like nails on a chalkboard but everything
1: constantly nails on on your skin on you know <laughs> your mind your taste buds like e- every sensation is uncomfortable mm-hmm. um and so i thought i was going to feel like that forever and i i've i've stopped doing nicotine this is like jumping forward a little bit um I um I've stopped nicotine for a week now and I cannot believe the insanity that rolls through my head constantly like I I I constantly want it it's yeah. a it's a 5 seconds by 5 seconds type of thing where I have to remind myself why I'm not using nicotine and I mean it's like it's this uh, insanity and it's been really eye opening this past week to remember what it was like when I was getting sober from drinking.
0: Yeah. Brings Um, you back to that same place of mind.
1: Exactly. That exact same place of mind. I can't, can't, I can't believe that, you know,
0: they say it's one of the hardest things to quit. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know if the people who say that have withdrawn from heroin, but they say it's pretty rough.
1: Well, I don't know. I, I think the pills were rough too. I think all of it, You know, none of it's good. None of it's good. No, you know, withdrawals don't have a nice little ring to it.
0: No. And like I heard somebody say, like, the worst thing that you've ever experienced is the worst thing you've ever experienced. Right. So it's really hard to compare, you know, one to the other for somebody who hadn't necessarily withdrawn from everything out there. But like, it's still I know that there's like a, a big psychological aspect to it, just like there is coming off any substance. Yeah. You know, even if. Hitting the vape didn't make you steal from your family and wreck your car and run from right, the police and you right. know, all that other stuff. It's still a you know a chemical that affects your mind and your mind's looking for it when it's gone. Like whoa, you've been giving me this anytime we were stressed or bored or anything for however long, and I'm stressed and bored. I'm waiting. Where like-
1: is it? Yeah, yeah, and that unmanageability piece because the uh, I think addiction does have are two pieces that we look at very intently as we come into uh, recovery. At least I did. I was, I was guided to look at the obsession, the mental and um, bodily obsession, and then the unmanageability and Mm -hmm. the unmanageability was part two of the obsession, which was part one. So I, I, you know i'm so obsessed with drinking that i can't stay sober for this night out with my family my unmanageability piece is i embarrass my family in front of all their friends and throw up in the um in the back of the building you know so yeah. it's like th- this this constantly these two pieces are so different though you know because um trying to deal with the wreckage of the relationships that i ruined Versus trying to stop shaking my knee um, and stop like freaking out that I want to drink so badly. Those were different experiences for me. It was very difficult to do them both at the same time. And so for me, going to inpatient was so helpful. Um, I was just so grateful that I didn't have to deal with the unmanageability yet. And I could just look at my obsession for now um nobody was sending me mailers telling me what what how I ruined their life, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like none I of think it's that.
0: so important like one of the biggest benefits of going to to treatment where you're completely separated not only from the substance but separated from all of the wreckage of your past so that you have time to just focus on getting it out of my system, working on the obsession like I mean, I messed up a lot of stuff with a whole lot of people, but I didn't have to clean all that up in the first thirty days of my sobriety. Right. And if I had had to, or if even if I had just not been in treatment and that was an option, I probably would have worked myself to death trying to like fix everything all at once, which wouldn't have done any good anyways, because right. nobody would have believed me.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I'm I'm with you on that, and I I think um, you know, it, people can get sober anywhere. You know, uh we all have the ability to connect with the higher power if we have brains we can use. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it's just a choose your hard type of situation. I feel like um some people do really well, you know, just yeah. getting sober in their hometown. Hats off to them. I don't know how, you know. I, I do have a really high level of respect for those individuals. Hundred percent. Um but I, I think, you know, it, it's, it's harder if you do it that way. Same as I think, you know, yes, you can be in a relationship within the first year of your recovery. Is it harder? Absolutely. Yeah, yes. 100%. <laughs>
0: it's going to be tough.
1: It's going to be rough for right. a while. Um, but you can do it and you can stay sober. Um, and so I think what was different about my first few months of recovery was that I did have people around me telling me, Hey, this is the easier route. Like, you know, it, it can be difficult or you can do this instead. And when they told me not to go back to my hometown, that was one of those moments where they said, you know, you can go back to your hometown. And if you really want to stay sober, you will, you know, if you put the work in, yeah. um, or you could, just not and here's another option and so I moved to Birmingham um this is at the time I'm thinking like everyone cares about me and that was not the case (laughs) I was like they're gonna miss me that didn't happen I probably um gave them all a lot less of a headache just by being not being in class with them so um I missed out on my last half of senior year and I, I just was able
0: to focus in on recovery. Did you have like the same phone number and stuff when you uh, got out of rehab?
1: Yeah, that's a good, I was thinking about this when you talked about it. Um, I, my dad took me straight to Verizon when he picked me up from inpatient. Uh-huh. He, we got in the car and he was like, you know, I was like, hey, can we go to dinner? He's like, No we 're going to Verizon you're changing your phone number we're wiping your phone clean <laughs> so so no smart. yeah yeah smart um, so my phone number was changed I um, I had a really hard time not being friends with people that I wanted to be friends with
0: did any of those people like reach out to you or try to get a hold of you when you when you first got sober
1: a few of them hmm a few of them when I when I became active again um, on social media and, you know, I, I had a really hard time because I was still in this delusion that I had real friendships with them mm-hmm. and that I knew how to care about them the way that they needed to be cared about or that they cared about me. You know, a lot of them I know now. We we had transactional relationships, yeah. um, and I talked to a lot of people about this. Now, it's not easy to just drop your friends. You know, I know Adam. You said it was so easy. You were like, "Mm mm." Stop talking to all of them.
0: Well, I was in a different place though, too. Like you were seventeen, and so I had already lost all of my high school friends.
1: Yeah, that's they were true.
0: Already all gone. And when you're in high school, like at that age, like those are the friends that you grew up with, that you've been going to school with for however many years. And it's like the only people that you ever know, but I'd already recycled through like three sets of friends (laughs) by that point. So like I didn't have real relationships with any of them anyway. So it's it's completely different, I think, depending on where you're at.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, It definitely felt like... My entire bubble was burst yeah. and I was taken out of it and I was missing everything. Like if there's ever a case of FOMO, maybe yeah. just like totally leave your entire life and <laughs> move somewhere else oh, without telling people, you know, that was, that was huge FOMO. So did anybody know that you were leaving for rehab? Absolutely.
0: Oh, they all knew? They all knew. Okay.
1: And I'm over here telling my best friend, like, just tell people if they ask that I'm going to take care of my grandparents. Because one of them has dementia. And um, and she was like, okay, yeah, cool, sweet. And that, I mean,
0: it was Nobody bought so
1: it. silly. No, they all knew. Yeah. It was exactly like you with your boss. Like, oh, thank goodness you're going to get help. Mm-hmm. Um. But in my mind, it would, that took me a a while to realize that they knew. But, um, but yeah, I, it was the best decision I ever made to leave. And I found the best recovery community in Birmingham. I just was able to focus completely on learning to meditate and learning to pray and lean on other people and, you know, cry out loud. Um, to be honest about my feelings, to be honest about my plans. Um go out of my way to comfort others when I really was wanting to feel comforted. Mm. Um and I I I do talk about this a lot because it's so important. I didn't know what I was talking about at all. Yeah. Like, you know, when when I was with recovery friends, I didn't know Like, you know, we're talking about sharing on a topic of mindfulness or of like, you know, willingness. And I didn't know what I was talking about, but I was talking, Yeah, you know, I was talking about how I didn't know what I was talking about and how I was angry about not knowing and how I was anxious and how actually this is really stupid um, that we're doing this in the first place. And how is a gratitude list going to help me stay sober and not want to go find some Xanax? You know, how is that? going to help me live a better life and feel calmer. Yeah, I um, remember
0: thinking that the gratitude list was the dumbest thing I had ever heard
1: of. So in my life. childish. Like, if you want me to write down
0: what I'm thankful for? Get out of here. I know. But that shit works.
1: I know. I know.
0: Now I sound like the people who told me about it. I don't I always write it out on paper, but I try to do that like in my morning prayers, go through the things in my life that I'm grateful for. Yeah. And it does. It changes your your perspective. Perception of them,
1: yep And I, I will tell some. I swear, it's good that a lot of these conversations are on the phone because I will sometimes tell new people, people new to recovery, things like, "Yeah, write a gratitude list." And I just, like, I'm like, I, oh my god, cringing at myself. Yeah, like I've become that girl. Mm-hmm. Um. But I just, I, I try to be as real as possible. Like, I know it sounds ridiculous. I don't understand it. Yeah. Um. And I, I just, I obviously don't understand why I have not wanted to pick up a drink. I could count on one hand how many times I have in the past four years. So I've been sober six. First two years were rough, you know. But in the past four years, it's been pretty smooth sailing. Yeah. And I just do things and things are on my calendar now. Like Sunday night, I'm going to go to a rec- recovery meeting. Um, Monday, I'm going to talk to some girls about recovery. Wednesday night, I'm going to talk to my, you know, mentor about recovery. Um, th- it's just, it's, it's, it's become It's just part of easy. your normal life. Yeah. It's, it is. It's a lifestyle
0: change. It's crazy how routine it becomes. Like, when you first get sober, all of that so far, and like you were saying a minute ago, yeah. learning to be honest—like I didn't know shit about telling the truth. No, or like learning mindfulness. I was mindfulness. That's when you smoke a blunt. That's when I'm mindful. Exactly. That was the extent of my knowledge. Exactly. Um, and now there's like so many of these practices that other recovering people have shared with me that are just a part of my daily routine. Like I went for years without ever saying a prayer, and. Yeah it's an unusual day if I don't throw up like five prayers. They're not all super long. You know, some days it might just be a God help me or help me not want to kill this customer or whatever situation I'm dealing with at the time. Or it may just be the serenity prayer just real quick to like, all right, where's my focus at? Right. Um, But like that, who am I? Where, where did that come from? Like, I remember having conversations with my mom like, I don't know if I believe in God. Maybe there is. Maybe there isn't. Prove it to somebody who prays religiously. Yeah. So foreign.
1: I know. I know. And I feel the same way about so many different areas in my life. I think one of the biggest is the way that I express my negative emotions. It's so different. Mm -hmm. It used to be, you know, especially towards the end where I was also still in high school that I would be talking to a friend saying, you know, screw her. She's so rude. Can you believe that she did this to me? Da 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 da. I mean, she's just so da 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 da. And that was the extent Mm -hmm. like, There was never a point where I would say, you know, and I recognize that I'm resentful right now, and I'm not giving her the benefit of the doubt, and I know that she has issues that she works on as well, and she's human just like me, and I think I'm just in a bad place, and I don't need to talk to her today.
0: Yeah. Well, you're no longer the center of your universe. Exactly. You know, that's something I think about when when dealing with people all the time, like, I'd be talking to to somebody about it, and I'm like, well, you know, they're they're just a sick person. They're going through something of their own. And, like, that's so far from anything I ever would have thought. Like, I would be – I mean, I was never, like, a violent person, but I would get mad. I would would curse you up and down. I would yell at you. I would want to push you off a cliff. Right. And those are not my first reactions anymore. Right. It's not to say that I don't ever have an outburst where – I'll lose control of my anger. It's not frequent, but it still happens. But my first instinct is no longer that. Yeah, It's no longer to curse you out. You know, instead of flipping people off when I get road rage now, I give them the thumbs down. Boo. (laughs) I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed.
1: And Yeah. Yes. And it it changes my whole mindset Uh just by changing the way, really just adding something. Because this doesn't mean that because I'm in recovery, that I don't get angry and say things that are not nice to feel heard and to vent and to get it out to a what we call closed mouth friend, mm-hmm. really, just someone that you know knows that this is not gossip time, this is just I need to feel heard time um it, it all it is is that extra part after. Of like, you know, I I I also recognize that um I have some stuff to work on. Yeah. And I'm gonna leave it at that. You know. <laughs> it's like I um I don't know, I'm very appreciative for that that I have so many of those friends as well. I have so many people to go to about issues and there they're, um has been this adrenaline inside of me when I do feel very angry or uncomfortable or jealous or um, insecure with any any situation that's going on, be it work, personal, um, where I feel the adrenaline to no longer fix it and, and just feel better and forget about it, I do now feel inclined to go pray about it to go Mm -hmm. journal about it to go you know share about it to a closed mouth friend um and i didn't feel that before and i i only i think that's happened with time there have been like so many times in the first few months or years maybe if i could remember that i have felt that inclination to fix it and and then I had to keep, like, rerouting that to, okay, I need to actually go find a solution for it and go feel it, and then that's how I'm going to find peace once again around the situation. It's yeah. not like I'm going to go fix it really quickly, but, um, but the habits that we do from the tools that we use constantly, they just become ingrained.
0: Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it is because when I first got sober, like, just removing the drugs and alcohol didn't change the way I reacted to people, places or situations, but I had to sit with my reaction in sobriety. I couldn't just go get drunk or I couldn't get high and forget that I just made a complete ass of myself. I had to sit with the fact that I made an ass of myself. And then I learned like, maybe I don't want to do that again. Maybe I Mm -hmm. should try something different next time. Um, And so I think it's a, it's a slow process, but over some time, which you have, you know, it turns out to where your first reaction is no longer to just punch somebody in the face or yell at them or whatever you used to do. I don't know.
1: Right, right, exactly.
0: It seemed like you might have punched some people in the face back in your day.
1: You would think that. I did. I was not physical.
0: No, not even no. with your brother. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: yeah he would never listen to a podcast of me talking this long (laughs) this is probably his life um but yeah i definitely did some things i regret there but i was more of a you know talker yeah i was a like it's a chihuahua i'll talk no punch just yippy yeah i was super yippy i can see that Uh, yes um, I'm
0: glad I know this Sarah and not that Sarah.
1: I know. I don't know. I don't recognize the old Adam. Yeah. But we've talked about this. Did we talk about this on here that we have, I don't think so. It blows my mind that I've never seen you messed up.
0: Yeah, I agree. I have so many friends like that, especially since moving here to Mississippi, like because I never drank or used here. Right. And so everybody I know here has never seen me drunk they've never seen me high like and then I have so many friends here who I I hear their stories like like you're sharing with me right now and I'm like man that's so vastly different from the woman I see sitting in front of me like I have a hard time imagining yeah
1: I have a really hard time imagining and Uh it, it cracks me up though to imagine.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> I like to picture some of our friends and like absolutely hmm, I wonder what they were like. I bet that was wild. I yeah. bet I would not have been their friend.
1: No, I know. I don't think I would have been many of our friends' friends. Yeah. People who normally would not mix. That is So true. So true. Yes. Um But I I I think right now the biggest thing that I'm facing is how to remember where I came from as best I possibly can, because life is so different. Mm -hmm. Um, Just to kind of like speed through everything that's happened so far. I got back in, um, I got back into school after I received my um, high school diploma and I did a community college in D.C. area and then I went to move here. That's where I finished up my bachelor's in business administration and and all of that was such a trip because I was so convinced that I was stupid um, and that I was just not I did not have the IQ to make good grades and that I, I couldn't retain information and that, you know, my ideas weren't original and no one was going to really listen to me. And I just had all these very, very negative um, beliefs about myself that prevented me from
0: really wanting to do any school. It's so interesting to hear you say that because like when I think of the people I know down here, I think of you as one of the most intelligent and like you have so many different things that you're doing and running and in charge of nowadays. Like the fact that you didn't have that confidence is surprising to me because it's not at all what I think everybody around you sees anymore.
1: Thank you, Adam. Yeah. I appreciate that. Of course. I, um, I don't know. It's still, it's imposter syndrome. Definitely. Um, I just, I feel so passionate about people like us going back to school now because of what it's done for me, the confidence that it's given me. I mean, I was the girl that was like lying to her parents about what grades I made and whether I studied or not. And every time I got an F and I got so many of them, I think I had a 1.8 GPA in high school. Um, The only reason I got my high school diploma is because they put me on a homebound situation, homebound system, which is for people that are homebound, bedbound. And so I basically was because I was crazy in the head. Um, And that counted somehow. But, um, you know, I I just, I did not... um, I did not think that I was going to do well in high school and in, in college. And people told me, you know, like, treat it like your recovery meetings. Come early, stay late, like your life depends on it. Make friends, take notes, ask questions, go to office hours. And so I just started doing all of those things, um, telling people when I was not doing well and when I needed help and when I was confused about um, different things we were studying. And, um, I mean, I ended up making 4.0 an undergrad, um, and, and then making, you know, getting a scholarship to, um, my final undergrad college, MILSAPs, because of my grades in community college, and then getting my MBA and, and getting good grades. And I'm yeah. very, excited about that but I know that it's not because I'm it's not because I'm Einstein like it's it's because I showed up and I worked hard um and I can be proud of that I did not I I really thought that grades equals smart or not smart depending on what you get and um and it's been very, it's been very nice to know that that's not the case because I thought I had no shot if that was the case. Yeah. Um,
0: well, it's just like anything else that we do. It's you know you're going to get out of it what yeah. you put into it, and it sounds like you really put your head down and put all the work behind it that was required to get good grades, and voila, you got good grades. You know? yeah.
1: That's I, that's something I think that is so um, so cool about us addicts, because yeah. Some everything in, what's the saying? Everything in in too much is too is not good. Uh, everything in
0: what is it? One is too many. A thousand is never enough. Is that what you're no, getting at? No,
1: not quite. I, I don't know. Um, there's some saying, guys. There's some saying, everybody, where like if you have too much of something, too much of I'm something sure is, is too much of a good thing is not a good thing. That's, there what I go. that's but that's my quote so you can put my name on that one um and I and I I don't know we we have we have the ability to withstand a lot of pain for something that we want mm-hmm. um, and I still feel like I do have the ability to withstand a lot of pain for what I want and I I'm really starting to understand that better now because I'm gonna place in my life where I'm not married I don't have kids I don't um, you know I don't have to race home at five for any reason so I am able to work several jobs at once and possibly go back to school Um, I was able in the last semester to do a full um, full um, full full-time student courses course load and then run the businesses I'm in I'm involved in now and i i just think um we all have that in us yeah we all have that in us and it's it's i mean it, there's a balance to it like i don't want to be too afraid um i think you and everyone in my friend groups n- group knows that there's a little bit of a you know obsession there with doing a lot yeah you've
0: You guys should see her Google calendar. It's absurd. Every hour of every day of probably all the way through 2024 is already blocked out.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Yeah.
0: But you're so right. You know, that's something that it took me a while in recovery to learn is that like pain is not a a bad thing, you know, and Mm. just because something is uncomfortable doesn't mean it's a bad thing. When I was drinking and using like I was always just seeking comfort. And whether it's sitting in my feelings that's uncomfortable, I grow from it. Or whether it's going to the gym and doing a workout that I don't want to do, I feel better for it afterwards. Or if it's having an uncomfortable conversation with somebody that I don't want to have a conversation with, it clears the air. There's so many examples in my life and in my recovery of just doing the uncomfortable thing and getting to the other side of it and seeing the positive results. Right. Because I could never look that far beforehand like all I could see was like that's uncomfortable that's gonna cause me pain I don't want to do it and now I can look at it as like I don't want to go to the gym I don't want to do it I don't want to it's gonna be dumb I'm gonna hate it it's stupid I don't want to I don't feel like it but then all right but we're gonna go anyways
1: and now you're on year three of the 75 hard and I didn't even know it went that long.
0: <laughs> it's only year two, but we, okay. we just restarted.
1: No, literally year two. You've yeah. been doing every phase.
0: Phases that the general public didn't know existed. Well, I found out that I've grown a lot from it. You know, like yeah. when I first started doing that last year, the the guy who started it, he has a podcast. And he was talking about how would your life be different a year from now if you always followed through on the things that you told yourself you were going to do? And it hit me deep because I was like, damn. I was at a point where I followed through on stuff I told other people I was going to do. If there was accountability, if I told you that I'll be here at this time to help you do this thing, I'd show up and do it. But I could tell myself, like, we're going to meal prep this week or we're going to whatever the thing is. And time and time again, I would put it off till tomorrow and let myself down. Um, And through doing hard things, I've got to the point where I don't do that anymore anymore. You know, when I started that last year, I didn't have any thought of doing a podcast. I didn't have any thought of having a a recovery clothing brand and social media content that's out on all types of different platforms. And little by little, I, I taught myself that I can do this hard thing. I can do something else that's hard. And one day I was just sitting there and I was like on the computer and all of a sudden I had an LLC. Right. And like, okay, well, that was really easy to create, by the way. Turns out, yeah, not yeah. difficult at all. But <laughs> yeah. there was fear there. The
1: fear, you know? yes, that
0: fear of failure always <laughs> always gets in my way. Yeah, um, not to take over the the whole conversation, but yeah, it's really really beneficial to do hard things, to do uncomfortable things. Um, I don't know who said it, but pain is the touchstone of growth. Like, yes, and that's how we grow. You know.
1: Yeah, pain is information for me today. Mm-hmm. It's no longer the worst case scenario. It is, you know, I mean, and and it. I love what you're saying about the self-talk and what we say to ourselves, the promises we make to ourselves. Because, like, the whole amends process with getting in recovery, where I'm going to people, several people in my life and, and telling them that I, I recognize where I harmed you and I want to make it right. There is a very important person I have also harmed and that's myself mm. and my and my body and my mental health and my um I mean everything, my ego, my like I boosted it up and 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 deflated it all in the same day. And um and part of having, living an amends to myself is taking things like that seriously. I love that you've said that there's a difference between things that I tell you I'm going to do and then things that I tell myself I'm going to do. Um, because I do, I do that too. I I put it on a higher pedestal that I told you I was going to
0: be here. Yeah. Because if you don't show up, I'm going to be like, where are you at, Sarah? Yep. But if I tell myself I'm going to do something, nobody's going to call and ask where I am. Or why didn't you fold the laundry that's been sitting in your laundry basket for three days that you told yourself you were going to fold three days ago? Like,
1: I'll just sit
0: there till tomorrow when I notice it again.
1: No one out loud does, but my internal guilt goes around in circles and it comes up inside of me. It's just quiet. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm so lazy for not... I give myself the opportunity to make assumptions about me.
0: Absolutely. It shapes your your self-talk. It shapes your self-confidence. You know, when you're somebody who follows through on the things that you tell yourself you're going to do, all of a sudden you become a more confident person. And a more confident person is a more motivated person. So you begin to take on other tasks and it just, it snowballs, at least in my experience. Like the change that I see in myself from like a year and a half ago or whatever, feeling like, I don't ever follow through on anything I tell myself I'm gonna do. To today where like I follow through on damn near everything I say I'm gonna do. And when I don't, I'm like, I let that little bitch voice in my head win. That's how yeah. I picture. It. Like there's this little voice up there that's like, Don't do it, Adam. You don't have to fold the laundry. Wouldn't it be nice to just sit on the couch and eat snacks and watch TikTok? Wouldn't that feel good? Don't you like being comfortable?
1: Yes. And
0: sometimes i <laughs> let that little son of a bitch win. Right. But most of the time I smack him away. I put him in his place and then I, I go on about what I need to do.
1: Yeah. Recognizing it as a voice and as um, a separate thing. And there's a book about this, about the ego that I was thankfully, told to read in early recovery, um, and it was just separating these voices that we hear um, and separating the feelings that we have towards ourselves with who we really are and what we, what we really are, um, because I am not my thoughts. I am, you know— I'm, I'm all these other things, but it, I have to know what that is mm-hmm. so that I can really own it. Um, and I was talking to a friend recently about, like, how I feel right now. I just, I never thought I'd feel so comfortable in my skin.
0: Yeah. It's such a good feeling.
1: It, yeah, and it's not based on anything. It's not based on that I like my highlights in my hair right now, or my uh-huh. skin is healthier or my figure or, you know, it's, it's not based on any of those things. It is just, I genuinely feel good about me
0: mm-hmm. and get into that place. Like, cause it, it's on the inside. You know, I always thought and we've talked about this some before, but like, I always thought that it was the outside that needed changing, that I needed right. to lose the weight. I needed to get stronger. I needed More facial hair, less facial hair, different color hair, my eyebrows were too bushy, whatever bullshit I told myself. And I could change all of it and none of it made a difference. You know, I've been really out of shape and really in shape at several points in my sobriety. And at both of those extremes, I felt really uncomfortable being me.
1: Right. And so
0: doing that inner work to get to the point where it's like, You know what? I'm okay. Even if I put on a little weight, I'm okay. If I lose a little weight, I'm okay. If you don't like the way I look, I'm okay. Just being okay with Adam or being okay with Sarah and not basing that on like, I wonder what they're thinking of me. Are they talking about me? Or uh, all those other outside factors that I used to put my self-worth in now are just inside factors. Like Mm -hmm. if I'm doing what I, I need to be doing and I'm okay with me yeah. and it doesn't necessarily matter how that looks on the outside to everybody else. Yeah. Um, because I know I'm where I need to be for me.
1: That's exactly right. And I, um, it's, it's, a, it's really a gift to sit with other women today too, that don't understand that. Mhm. um, I just, I don't know. It's a, it's a passion that I feel now. And I know you relate to this sitting with people that have felt like how I have felt and not feeling like I need to change them or, you know, immediately give them all the information that I have, but just holding, holding on with them Mm -hmm. and, and, and feeling that with them. It's incredible. I mean, it feels like one of those, you know, like sometimes it feels out of body where I can imagine that I am sitting with my inner child or my inner teenager, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, I'm just letting her cry and just validating her. And I'm able to think, because doing peer support, um, it's been... And it's been amazing to just to see it from a different lens. And I learned so much more about myself when I'm helping others, too. Um, and I also I, I also care a lot less about myself.
0: <laughs> well, there's something so powerful about being able to use your negative experience to be a guiding light for somebody else. Yeah. Um, and even if it's not giving them any sort of advice or any direction that changes their situation, just the simple Hey, I've been there too. Mm -hmm. I know that feeling. It sucks, but I'm here for you. You don't have to walk through it alone. Like that's massive. The people who held my hand as I first got into recovery and did not know how to be an adult human. Yeah, I was still a child on the inside and taught me like, okay, this is what we need to do. We're going to see how much you owe to all these different people. And then we're going to start paying your bills. I'm like, okay, we we pay bills now. All right, cool. Yeah. Uh, but just having somebody there who's like, Hey dude, I've been there. I owed the IRS money too. And I don't owe money anymore. And I'll help mm-hmm. you figure it out. Like That's right. wild. It's so, so powerful and so cool to be on the other side of it, which I still have people that do that for me. Not to say that I'm Fixed all the you know like I still have yeah. so much growth opportunity so much to learn about the world and about being an adult still and you know all these things but being able to to be that person for somebody else in the same way that somebody was that person for me is such a cool experience
1: yeah and then knowing that when things get worse not worse but when worse things happen because they will um, that I'm gonna have people. To sit with me again. 100%. I'm experiencing that now with my dad. Um, It's a very slow process losing him to dementia. And and I've just, I've had the most patient women sit with me um, that have been through this and have been through this and stayed sober. Um, And I don't know. I mean, a lot worse is coming you know yeah I don't mean to be totally negative good things are coming too incredible experiences are coming um but I think there is a world of hurt that I have to be ready for and um and not not in a way that I'm defensive about it you know not that I'm you know coming in and it's just all for nothing or anything just 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 knowing that, you know, I'm going to have these good moments and I'm going to have these bad moments and and I'm going to have to really appreciate the good ones and really hang on to my resources when I'm facing the bad ones.
0: Well, that's something I think that it's a misconception for a lot of people like as they're just getting sober. I thought that like you remove the drugs and alcohol and life was just going to be good, Mm -hmm. like that all these problems would go away. But life doesn't hold punches. Like just because we're in recovery, life still happens. We still lose family members. We have friends that, you know, die in the program. And then we have friendships that fall off over time. Or we get fired at work. Or we still get in car wrecks. Or there's all these different, the list could go on and on of things that can happen to us. Um, But being able to have people to walk you through that, like... That's something that I did not have when I was drinking and using, Mm-mm. you know, I still I had like I lost my granddad when I was getting high and I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. I didn't have anyone to to hold my hand and and show me how to grieve properly. You know, I don't think I cried a tear until I was like a year and a half sober. I remember being in the car like I had just gotten a new car in Nashville and I was driving back to Jackson, Tennessee And I don't have a clue what song came on, but some song came on and made me think of him and I bawled for like 45 minutes or an hour yeah. Um, because i just, you know, I'd been holding on to that and I'd never, never processed it. But being able to know that no matter what's coming up, there's people who have been through it or they've been through worse and they're willing to walk through it with me. Like that's what's so powerful about recovery community and not just recovering alone or recovering in silence
1: yeah and that it is incredible how quickly I could become friends with people too. it's not It's not a, a very long process to find that community. Not at all. It can happen within hours or you know, or or shorter. Um, just knowing that there is this huge dilemma that we are facing together. and it it also doesn't even matter. How far along a person is. Not at Um, all. You know, I've got best friends that have way more time than me and then best friends that have way less, you know.
0: Yeah, both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. And sometimes the ones with way less have more quality sobriety than some of the ones I know with way more time. because
1: they're on fire. Yeah. Because they're like, I really, really, really hate my life right now. (laughs) Like, I really, really, really want to feel better. Um, And then there's like, you know... Some days I'm like, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of tired today.
0: But we are, we're, we're in a common fight. Like we all have this common goal of like staying sober no matter what, no matter what comes our way. And then we have, though they're different, all of this shared experience of how drugs and alcohol kicked our ass before yeah. we got sober. And so it's like this instant connection that we can form with people uh, you know, I mean, I can I can meet somebody who's newly sober and we can talk for like 30 minutes. And all of a sudden I'm like sharing my darkest secrets with them about stuff that, you know, that I used to do or did or. Um, and then the next time I see them, it's like it feels like we've known each other for forever. Yep. Um, and that's something I never experienced before getting sober No, or even since getting sober, you know, that, that happens with people in recovery. And, and I find that I can make fast friends with people who aren't in recovery or aren't in sobriety too, but there's just something different about the way that we can click with somebody who's got that shared experience. Yeah,
1: exactly. And whereas before, you know, I'd spend months with people and not really know them, Mm -hmm. not really care. And I don't know if they cared about knowing me, you know, um, that is something that we talk about is the quality of relationships now is just so, so much better than it's no I longer
0: transactional.
1: No, it's not. It's I, I really care about you and I'm showing up for you. But, but guess what? Um, guess what I'm doing tonight, Adam?
0: What are you doing tonight?
1: I'm going to be getting online, looking at whiskey and milk t-shirts, because if you can't tell or if everybody can't tell, this is the first podcast I'm doing without a t-shirt and I, I obviously need more. Do you want to tell us about the new t-shirts that you have out?
0: Uh, yeah. So we showed off uh, one of the new designs a couple weeks ago. We got a, a grateful I'm not dead, little spinoff off the uh, the grateful dead. That's what I'm ordering. Yeah, that one's solid. I was a a big deadhead. I mean, still love the music, but not the psychedelic so much anymore. <laughs> yeah. But I had uh, had some experiences. Um, I got a couple new hats out: a powerless hat, one that just says sober. Um, got this one's the brand tea. It's got the whiskey milk logo on the butt up front on the bunt on the front with a bunch of hashtags on the back. Um, and then we've got some that are uh, going to be pretty familiar stories for anybody who has worked the twelve steps to get sober. Um, just like the name, whiskey and milk, if it rings a bell. If you know, you know. Uh, I got one with the Jay Walker, uh, one from Bill's story at the tombstone of the Hampshire Grenadier. And uh, if, if you know, you know. But you can check them all out at whiskeymilk.com. You can follow us on all the socials TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's all under whiskey and milk or recovery uncovered. And uh, we'll see you guys next week.
1: Thank you for listening.
0: Attention! Now arriving at your destination. The last house on the block.